Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my Stephen King to the Tess Gerritsen, uh Curtis Wister. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm well, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm really excited. I wanted to do the uh, author shout out today because um, we are joined by Mary Marin Taylor. And Mary is uh, going to talk to us about uh, volunteerism today. But really, the idea around volunteerism is uh, it, her organization is literacy volunteers, mm. right? So we have a little bit of a kind of a education theme and yeah. literacy theme going on today. So I thought the the good. author thing would be the one to go with. That's good. From from our client perspective, uh, uh, one of one of the questions we get a lot as as around volunteerism is they are retiring from a career and empty nester, and they're they're kind of getting a quotient of time that is increasing more and more in their life. And as they get to retirement, they start go- wondering how to fill that time. And on if you if you kind of think back to our second episode, we had Diane Walsh Diane, on, yeah. and Diane Walsh was talking really about the importance of, of volunteerism and people uh, as an exercise when they're retired. And that was just something that really stuck. And we said, you know, we got to have an episode that really just digs into volunteerism because it's a, it's a scary thing. If I've never volunteered before, I don't know what's going to be asked of me. I don't know uh, how much uh, how much time do I have to give. Do I need to know everything there is to know about what I'm doing? What sort of commitment in terms of years am I signing on for? Mm. What organization was, is best aligned to what my values are and what, what my purpose is in life? And, and again, we're a purpose-based podcast here. This is what we're trying to uh, delve into a lot. So that's a lot of the premise we wanted to get in today with Mary. So Mary, appreciate you being here today. Welcome to Retirement Success in Maine. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Ben, for inviting me. Yeah. So uh, we always kind of dig into and uh, the, the kind of question we get from uh, people about, well, why did you ask this person on the show? So I always want to uh, get a, get the audience a feel for who you are. So maybe you could just give a little sense of your background, you know, in terms of just kind of growing up and then academic experience too. Well, what led you to the point of being an executive director of literacy volunteers of Bangor today? Just give us that sense. I, uh, I'm, I'm from Maine originally. I come from the St. John Valley, which is right up on the Canadian border. So, uh, we, it's a culturally diverse. Let me say it this way. It's a pocket of French speaking people. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably most more accurate. So I, I grew up with grandparents who spoke, uh, very little English, mostly French. Uh, my parents were bilingual, but at the time they chose not to teach, uh, my brother and I French because they had been punished in schools growing up for speaking French. So they figured we'd eventually acquire it, which unfortunately never really happened. But yep. so my background is from this, this pocket of Maine that valued family and hard work and helping other people. And our ethnicity. So I, I came to the University of Maine, uh, went to Orono, and I had a, a back. Well, my education is in communications. Okay. Okay. And my story was one of things that didn't exactly, you know, the expectation. Or um, yeah, I had an unplanned pregnancy when I was in my first year of college. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to come from a family that, again, valued education and respected 
my decision to ultimately uh, keep the baby who's now 32. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. And so they supported my decision to continue going to school and help me raise Andrew. And I shared that piece of my story, as well as my French ethnicity, for a couple of reasons, because it leads back to literacy volunteers. I was a young woman who got pregnant, and those circumstances could have made a very, created a very different path for me. Absolutely. And so I recognized very early on how fortunate I was that I had resources. I had parents who had some means to be able to help me continue to go to college and help raise my child. Um, so they did that. Not every woman in that situation has those kinds of resources. And question just about age of parents, right? So what, what age were your parents at that point helping you? Yeah, my parents were not yet 50. Right. They were still working. Working their career mm-hmm. in saying, hey, we're, we got we to gotta step up and help with a grandchild here while my daughter is attending full-time school, right? And my younger brother hadn't yet graduated from high school. So oh, they still wow. had somebody in the Yeah, they still have my younger brother in the home. So uh, it was really a, a family uh, a pulling together of all of us to make this work. And I recognize the sacrifice they made in order for me to have that. And I know that there's lots of families that would would do the same if they had that capacity right? and may not have it. So I feel very blessed in terms of being able to have that, had that experience. Eventually I did get my master's degree, but at that point I, I, uh, you know, Andrew was three years old. So I, I, I moved him closer to me and I, and I became a TA where I was a teaching assistant, which helped pay for my graduate experience. I taught public speaking. And so it put me through graduate school, essentially. And I had a small stipend. And that's how I was able to do it. And yep. I'm forever grateful for the people along the way who said, you're smart enough, you can do this, and it'll benefit you in the long run. And I had that sense, but didn't always recognize what my resources were. Sure. So yeah. from that perspective, in terms of chance, life chance, I mean, I, I, I didn't plan on getting pregnant at 18, but I'm forever grateful Andrew's in my world. Mm. And so, but I realized that that was a chance that could have gone a very different way for anybody else. I mentioned the ethnicity earlier because my grandfather, going back to my world in literacy volunteers, was a man who was born in like 1890 in a log cabin outside of Fort Kent, Maine. And he, I think, had a third grade education. And he sold MetLife insurance to the potato farmers to insure their crops. He was brilliant, but couldn't read the contract in French or English. Mostly French speaking? All French speaking. All French speaking. Yeah. Okay. Learned some English. I remember my grandfather. I was probably 10 when he died. But my mother remembers sitting on his lap and she, he would, she would, he would say to my, my mom, you know, point to the words. And they had lots of magazines coming into their home. Again, he appreciated and valued education and got his education through people who knew mm-hmm. more than he did. Mm-hmm. And so he would say, you know, read to me this article in the Bangor Daily News. And so, and she would have, she'd run her finger along the words. And that's how he picked up some, some English text in terms of being able to read in English. But this is a man who traveled to New York City, drove his car, (laughs) attended the MetLife, you know, insurance meetings in, you know, full regalia. It was the three-piece suit and the furs. I mean, we have these long photographs of all these men, you know, on the, you know, outside the MetLife building in New York City. I mean, he was, he was just brilliant, but he did not read. He did not read. And he had, he did not, he wasn't afforded uh, an education, but he was darn sure he wasn't going to be picking potatoes or planting them or, you know, going in the woods to harvest wood. He wanted to work above the shoulders, Mm -hmm. not below the shoulders. Mm -hmm. He was clear about that. 
So in, in regards to, right, so here, here you are with kind of your own kind of family that you're you're building as well as yeah. you're kind of pursuing your academic uh, career. And, but you're also seeing this, you know, you got, you're seeing your, your family in previous generations with the struggle with literacy. Mm. How did, how do you kind of figure out that, hey, the literacy is the thing that that's what you wanted to do, right? Because you could do anything if you got a communications and uh, degree and you're, you're doing public speaking and, you know, obviously, which I think you look for now is all those things have really tied well together nicely for you. But how did you kind of find that, that, you know, it's really tough, I think, in your 20s, especially, mm-hmm. maybe even to your 30s. And I know Diane Walsh had said that mm-hmm. it took her until her 30s even figure out what she wanted to do and kind of find that alignment to her values and her purpose. How did you kind of get from, again, you're ending your academic experience to, I eventually got to literacy volunteers. By chance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like most of us yeah. by chance. I mean, I had a, I had had a career in my twenties and early thirties in, I worked with adults, for example, who were transitioning back into the workforce. So I had done some training with adults and helped them transition into uh, either off welfare into the workforce okay. or from a layoff back into the workforce okay. through training. Um, so I, I, I did that for about five years and I also worked in, in a really unrelated field in healthcare, but I was actually doing their marketing and their fundraising and utilizing my education degree that way. So at the point where I became involved in literacy volunteers, they had downsized my position from a, a, the hospital I was working at. And at that time, the organization, Literacy Volunteers, was looking for uh, someone who could really elevate the profile of their nonprofit in the community so that they could recruit more volunteers, recruit more students, and just begin to build an infrastructure that had devolved over time. This is an organization that's celebrating 50 years in 2019, but 16 or 17 years ago, it was in a very different place. So I interviewed for the position and I admittedly don't, I'm I'm not steeped in adult literacy. I don't Mm -hmm. have an education background, but I have had this penchant for helping people and connecting individuals with things they enjoy, others that they can work well with. And then I had this marketing and fundraising background, which we were desperate for. And I think so that was part of the timing and the evolution of the organization at that point. Gotcha. And in regards to... Can you just spend some time on what Literacy Volunteers does? Sure. Like, why were they founded? <clears throat> what kind of services are they providing? Yeah. And then, because uh, I want to get to volunteerism here in a, just a minute, but structurally, how do they provide those services? Sure. So the organization was started 50 years ago by two women who w- should have been retired. They were 70 years old, yeah. speaking of uh, retired. Talk about um, finding your purpose in talking, retirement, right? Yeah. yeah. They, and that's a beautiful way of saying who these two women were. One of them was Sister Mary Benigna, and I mention her because we've, as as we celebrate 50 years, people have come out of the woodwork and said, and to say that they remember her as their seventh grade English teacher at St. John's School. So she was she was a Roman Catholic nun who served this community, and then she was partnered by quite by chance by a woman named Agnes Beckwith, who was a retired teacher, and so we were recognizing that adults in our community same as today, were struggling with being able to comprehend what they read. And they were finding probably more so in the late 60s, adults who truly couldn't read. And so they identified a model that was working in Syracuse, New York, founded by a woman who's like 103 years old and still helping to run what was Literacy Volunteers of America. So this is Ruth Colvin of Syracuse, New York. She founded Literacy Volunteers of America in the early 60s. And the premise was really, uh, it's it was a, a reach one, teach one 
kind of premise where there are people in our community who have capacity, who can read, can teach others, know how to mentor and coach. And there are people in our community who have the need to learn and are motivated, but just need the opportunity. And so it was a matter of pairing those two and creating a system that could be really, really student focused, all about that individual's needs and motivations and having the community fill that need. That's the model they exported to Maine. And when they, um, meaning Sister Benigna and Agnes, when they went to Syracuse, New York, and they exported the model to Maine, we became the first literacy volunteers outside of the home state of New York. And the first in, in Maine, obviously. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So that's the kind of heritage we have. That's the legacy they left. And that, that model has really worked. And, um, and I'll kind of clue myself in yes. here. So I, I, <laughs> I did get involved with Letters Volunteers in a few different levels. Yeah. In the, uh, and that's how we got connected in the early 2000s. But this, this population of, hey, they're, they've kind of fallen through the cracks or they've not gotten the education level that they needed for whatever reason. And there is a lot of stigma to, you know, I, I've not really done well in a classroom setting. Right. I'm scared of being that person that's falling behind in a group. And, you know, those are things that really are stigmas and fears and concerns that they've lived with their whole life. They have that, that kind of stigma and that concern of, I don't want to let anybody know I have a secret. Absolutely. Right. That's a secret mm-hmm. I hold that I can't read as well as everybody thinks I can. Correct. Um, I, I don't want to seem less intelligent because people think that of me. So I want something that is a little more private. I want something where someone is is helping me to my speed and not to a group. Mm-hmm. And so what which is what I've what really drew me to Literacy Volunteers is you could see that model really working is this one-on-one pairing and I will um kind of the service delivery point is that I've kind of Privately, I'll say to my wife, Kara, I was like, you know, the literacy volunteers are essentially match.com, right? It's, it is, <laughs> right? It's finding the, the two partners That's and how, well together. Yes. how well they work together, right? Is that, you know, you know, I, I really work well with somebody that is this, my dry sense of humor and likes to, you know, <laughs> do this and do that. And we like to hunt or whatever the, right. the passions are that you're not just connecting on a need of education that we're talking about mentorship. We're talking about partnership and helping each other in a neighborly type fashion. And what an important thing. And, and you're in what, what's pretty cool about the model is you just kind of see some really great leaps from people and you see the see that progress. So I wanted to cue that up just for a yes. second on in terms of literacy volunteers and how it was founded was the one on one that reach one teach one fashion. Mm-hmm. But it really is a one to one pairing. It isn't, you know, somebody sitting down, there's a teacher and there's four or five students in a classroom and there here's the study lesson on the chalkboard. And right, it, it's not Mm-mm. that. Um, and it can't be because of the that kind of the psychological element of somebody that's that's already failed or had a failure there and and they've they they just really have a tough time overcoming that absolutely so and can you just talk about obviously when you got involved in the early 2000s right Mm -hmm. in terms of literacy volunteers and assuming that role as executive director can you talk about the growth of the organization from then until now and and talk a little bit about what you've been discovering around volunteerism and what you've learned and, and kind of lessons that you've ingrained in the, the organization at this point? Yeah. In, in the early 2000s, uh, it, when I came on board, I was the only employee 
working with the adult population at that time. So, and, and, and there was a volunteer board of directors, but no one was able to say, here's where you find the policy manual. Here are the files and how to interpret the documents inside them. So it was really one where I had to kind of wave through a lot of information and kind mm-hmm. of come to my own deductions as well as reach out to others who are doing it across the state. So what I was able to glean was we had about 14 matches. So 14 students paired with a, a, an adult tutor. Today, we are serving 375 adults. So it's a very different organization. By and large, the model of the one-on-one is is primarily the focus. So it's one tutor, one student. We have some variations of that where we're, uh, you know, we're reaching out, for example, with uh, the Penobscot County Jail. And we're going in and doing some small group work with some of their incarcerated women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're able to serve them that way in order to better prepare them for their exit and re-release back into the community and hopefully not a re-entry again in, back into the risk. We're trying to reduce recidivism okay. uh, by providing them some education and resources. Mm-hmm. So, but by and large, it's still that one-on-one model. And so we've gone from 14 to, you know, 370. So. I, I, I kind of think about customer service, right? Is, yeah. you know, and especially in the for-profit world, you start thinking about, Hey, I have repeat customers, right? And, <laughs> right. And, and yep. kind of this, how do you, yep. you're selling them something and, and they keep coming back and buying more or visiting you more. And in a nonprofit world is, you know, the, the volunteers and the people and the, you know, the learners, adult learners or mm-hmm. adult, uh, students. adult students or, or folks that are learning English as a secondary language, mm-hmm. perhaps as well, mm-hmm. that those populations are, are essentially coming back to you and you go from 14 matches, which are again, 28 people then, right? right? If it's right. one to one yep. to 350, now you're supporting 700 people, right? With differing yep. needs, differing wants, different uh, uh, kind of experiences that they're asking for, but you're providing an experience. Can you talk about from a volunteerism side, again, uh, if I'm retired mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about uh, kind of getting into uh, or volunteering my time, what experience have you been finding that volunteers are looking for? And then describe then how has that grown because of that experience? By and large, we're meeting a volunteers who want to make a difference. And they don't have to make a difference in terms of, you know, helping thousands, hundreds, or dozens of people. They want to make a difference with one person. And in this particular model, this works beautifully. So we work with a lot of teachers. It's probably not a surprise. This is a helping profession. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's a situation where if you are, for example, a retired teacher, you don't have to be to be a tutor, but when we do meet those retired teachers, they're coming to us and they're saying, I am haunted by that group of 25 students in my class and I couldn't reach the one in the back. I can mm-hmm. still see his face. I can, you know, I'm haunted by the fact that I couldn't reach him and I'm here. I'm here to, I'm here to meet him again. I want to make the difference with him. Right. And that's really gratifying when you don't have 24 other students to focus on, when you don't have standardized testing to teach to, when you are really all about the motivations of that one individual, that makes a tremendous difference for the bulk of our volunteers who end up tutoring. I mean, it's our number one job opening. There's no question there. There are other ways to serve any organization besides that core mission because it all sort of feeds into it. But when we're talking about our tutors, they're coming, they're coming to make that, they're coming to pay it forward. You know, they've been given an experience in their world and their life. And, and more often than not, they feel like they, they're, there's a debt that they owe and they want to give it back. So they're not after recognition, but they are after experience. And they are after connections with people. 
And what we find is they, they create community in a very different way. Okay. Can you explain that a little bit? Like, what does it mean to create community in a different way? Obviously, we, yeah. in the state of Maine, and again, the, we, we like this, that we're localizing this is, mm-hmm. I think, Mainers think of, think of ourselves as being pretty neighborly and helping each other out. And, you know, that, you know, when there's a need that we all try to rally around it and we, but we do tend to keep to ourselves too, Absolutely. right? That we tend to wall each other off. And I think you hear that from, and I kind of led with the whole Stephen King thing here, but <laughs> why is Stephen King here? Is he goes, well, I don't get bothered, right? Is, <laughs> I can go watch a movie and, and I don't get thousands of people thronging to the, to the, you know, the Bangor Mall cinemas and, and to watch me I'm watch a movie, yes, right? Is, yeah. There's that as, well, we don't want to bother people too. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about this whole new sense of community then is, so they're, they're making a difference or they're connecting with somebody that they maybe would never have never connected connect with, with right. even in this maybe five miles away or, or a mile away. Exactly. Can you talk about what happens there? So when you consider that the volunteers who come to us, most of them are coming from a middle-class experience. Okay. All right. So there's that set of uh, values and understanding of how the world works. Our students, um, if they're, if they're not good readers and they've been born and raised in the United States and, uh, went to school for some length of time and maybe even graduated from high school, but yet have difficulty with the written word, then there's baggage there. And they're probably more than half of the time living in poverty because there is a strong correlation between low literacy and those who are having a difficult time supporting themselves and their families. It's just, yep. and you can imagine, we all say education mm-hmm. is key. Yep. Yeah. Correct. So there's, there's that element. So there's social class that factors into it. We also, we haven't talked a lot about it, but the other portion of our business at Literacy Volunteers is we serve immigrants. So if you've come from another country and you're not speak, you don't know how to speak English. Obviously you don't know how to, may not know how to read it either. So we're helping you with language skills in general, yeah. along with culture and understanding systems that are unfamiliar to you because you grew up in Bangladesh. Right. And they do things differently in right. Russia too. <laughs> you know, so yeah. that those are, those again are differences that, that, that we're helping people navigate. So on a, in the course of our, our daily interactions, we don't often seek people who are tremendously different from us. That's right. So we have a comfort level, we have a circle, and it's tight. And we're going to stay within that track, we're going to stay within that group of people. And so when we're pairing individuals, there's often a curiosity for for the volunteer to say, okay, yep, I think I'd like to help somebody. I recognize it'll mean that this person has a very different life experience because they were raised in Guatemala or because they never graduated from high school and, you know, had to work in very different types of jobs than I've had to. But they're ultimately, uh, through that, there is an understanding that begins to build that we're not very different. Sometimes there are stark differences where we say, okay, why, why would somebody act like that? Why would somebody make that decision? It's not one I would make. And, and then if you explore that, you'd say, well, because I was raised this way, or mm-hmm. this is what I've come to know, or mm-hmm. my experience says that that's not safe, um, or I'll be judged, whatever, you yeah, know, yes, whatever yeah. it is. So that's the fascinating part. So we do a lot of work around culture. So, and I want to ask a question there, yeah. right? So if I'm volunteering to be a tutor, right? Cause you know, I, I have that motivation to, I want to make a difference in someone's life, right? As I want to make not only just a difference, maybe a profound difference. Mm-hmm. And that's a really valuable use of my time. Again, I'm retired and, and this is something I'm really interested in, but you know, that person's from Guatemala. 
mm-hmm. or this person's from Bangladesh, or they're from China. Mm-hmm. Like I don't speak Chinese, I don't speak Spanish, I Correct. don't, you know, I don't, most don't, right? I don't, I don't know those cultures. <laughs> yes. What or also, you know, here's a here's somebody that is uh, experienced a uh, they're they're in below the poverty line, right? right? And maybe they're having challenges that I've not even. Met or aware of or thought of before. Mm -hmm. And how am I the best resource to help them? Because I'm not the expert in this. And I'm trying, and I came to you as literacy volunteers thinking about the reading experience, but there's Mm -hmm. so much there that Mm -hmm. I have to also deliver. Mm -hmm. And I'm scared, right? Because I'm scared. Can I even do this? Can you talk about, well, obviously that's not the first time someone's probably made the point. (laughs) How, How do you as an organization support somebody to go from uh, hey, I, I, I raise my hand. I'm raising my hand right now. I'm signing up for this challenge because I, I can see the impact it can mm-hmm. have. I now kind of day one, I look at this and go, Whoo, this is Holy way cow. more than I ever <laughs> thought it could be of yeah. a challenge. How do you support them? I think what's so important for any organization who has volunteers come to them is to be upfront about what is expected of the role. And so more importantly for us than what your pedigree is, what your educational background is, how many years of experience you have is do you bring certain characteristics to the table? Cause that's really where the rubber will meet the road. Sure. So it's, it's stuff like, are you flexible? Do you have an open mind? Are you patient? Are you, know, would you, do you enjoy coaching kinds of activities or mentoring? Do you leave your judgment at the door? Yeah. All of those things are far more important to us than your ability to, you know, operate at a high level and your in in your in your world of of work or education, et cetera. Those are far more important. So, in terms of alleviating any anxiety that volunteers would have about whether or not they could do this, we we have training. And so in at least in our organization, it's it's not insignificant. We ask for about 14 or 15 hours of training prior to being matched with a tutor. Okay. So there is ample opportunity for you to be given the tools of the trade and, and also heighten your awareness around cultural differences that you might be presented with when you're matched with your student from Levant or your student from from Colombia, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. So, um, and I think if, you know, if w- with armed with that type of training, along with the fact that another way we support volunteers is we pair them with their own mentor. So we have a group, uh, a committee de- dedicated to supporting our newest volunteer tutors. So they would be a one-on-one tutor match that's going to reach out to that new tutor and say, you know, I understand that you've started meeting with your student. I'm here for these types of things. Would you like to meet? Do you want me on speed dial, you know, for that that call in the evening? What what do you need from me? But I'm here to serve you and help. Because I could see where, you know, a lot of these pairings where I'm paired with somebody that again, in a culture or a relationship that is very new to yep. me in my whole life. And and you're meeting in a safe place, right? So you're meeting yep. on that, you know, whether it be a library, you're meeting in a certain locales, mm-hmm. which are public, so everybody is safe there. But, you know, here here's a situation where somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm new to this country and I need to drive to my job because Maine's a very rural state. Mm-hmm. And to drive to earn income, I need a driver's license, mm-hmm. which is has a maybe a written portion to it. Mm-hmm, sure does. In addition to the actual the road test. Right. So but if I can't read so here's something where I need here's a very real example. I need to drive. Here's a driver's test I need to start preparing for. 
and not just memorizing an answer. I need to actually know Understand what it's asking it. and, and mm-hmm. what it needs, what it means to be safe on the road. In those sorts of scenarios, is that something where they're coming to the, the peer tutor and saying, Hey, what do you got around this? Right. Or here's a need they're expressing to me and they want to start here because I want to start where they are. Right. Not start where I want to teach them seventh grade you know, conjunctions and right. right, I got to do something that they're trying to meet as a demand. How do you kind of of support these random things that are coming up to make sure that a, the the students getting what they need and also the tutor is able to actually express it. So I would say that in addition to those tutor mentors uh, and the, the training, we do have a curriculum library where we would have materials available for uh, volunteers to borrow, for example. And we have a staff that is available to them to kind of navigate some of those those initial questions. It becomes a little bit, people do become more reliant on their experience, become more confident in that they have sure. this ability to do this. I mean, if you've raised teenagers, you're helping them navigate new systems all the time as you know, <laughs> as, they, as they become <laughs> adults. So yep. these are things that you inherently do. And people do gain confidence through that. But we would have resources. We would have people um, on staff as well as individuals who are volunteering to support as well. So that's where I, I want to make sure that, again, the audience kind of has mm-hmm. this as a point, right? Is If I'm volunteering, I'm going to a volunteer organization. There's lots of different sizes of organizations out there to be working or with in terms sure. of your volunteer time, right? So. You could have very, very large uh, organizations that you could be helping out and there are specific roles there. And then also very small in the, I, I don't know, I kind of have found in my experience and I've done a lot of committee and board work uh, mm-hmm. with, with kind of my volunteer experience is I think it needs to be large enough to have those resources there so that I feel empowered to, that I know if I have a question or I need to make a decision or I'm, I'm having help, I need help in a certain area that the organization's already kind of thought through all of these things. Because mm-hmm. if it's so loose and everyone's doing whatever they want, and if you know, you're know you doing a one-on-one tutoring and this person's teaching it completely differently, mm-hmm. it may be leaving a bad experience to that student that has overcome the stigma, even to step through this door today to sit down with me, and I don't provide a good experience because they're really not, again, you want people to be expressive in their personality and helping to match people, but they need to be providing a certain level of quality too, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's this in the world of volunteerism is making sure that the place you're getting into, I don't know, for me, that was always very important that I'm, I'm stepping into a place that has a little bit of structure and they've really taken it professionally and seriously about setting this up for success for the people that you're, you're bringing in. I think for us that, that sense of quality will go back to the matching process. So, uh, we're, our staff gets to know those new volunteers as well as those students who have asked for help. And we do a, a significant intake with the student to know what kinds of barriers they're, they're, that, that are preventing them from being successful or have prevented them in the past. And we're spending time with those volunteers in training. And so we're, you know, through conversation and group participation, discussions, et cetera, we're kind of getting a sense as to, you know, who they might work best with, what kinds of tolerances they have, where they, you know, where their comforts are. Mm-hmm. And to the best of our ability, we're going to be pairing them and matching them with individuals who we think they'll be successful with because at that point, they're such tremendous resources the volunteer because they've invested the time and they have the willingness to serve and the student because you're right. It may have taken them years to walk through the door or call us right. because of the shame that comes with not being able to do something that inherently everybody does. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So we really honor both parties. And, you know, while the matching process is not foolproof, we're dealing with humans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we are more than willing to rematch if they, you know, meet a couple times, say, I just don't think we can work together for X, Y, Z reasons. You know, we'll rematch and there's no harm, no foul. This is a people's game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. so we understand that. But I do think it goes back to matching. If we think that someone will be set up for success, we're not going to, we're not going to push that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Again, I, I do want to keep going on the volunteer experience yes. for another second here. You, you talked about the need for uh, retirees to really feel a profound difference, right? So they're mm-hmm. making a difference in someone's life. Can you just talk about that theme over, you know, since the early 2000s until now in your role of how is that? been the same for that new volunteer coming in to this, to the organization Mm -hmm. and saying, this is, this is what I'm looking for. But is there anything that's changed there? Is there something where maybe you're seeing they want, maybe there's an attention thing, or maybe there's other needs or things that you're seeing that they said, yeah, I want to make a difference, but also I want to feel something in addition to that. Mm -hmm. Has that happened? Mm -hmm. Well, this is going to be anecdotal. We talked a little bit about this. General, right? Yeah, generalized. I would say that, it, you know, this is not a, a group of people. We're not a high profile nonprofit. So people don't necessarily come to us looking for a status symbol. Yeah. yeah sure. I'm on the board of literacy yeah. volunteers of Bangor. It right. had, doesn't have the same cachet as a medical center, for example. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I get that and we're completely fine with that. So people who come to us tend to want to make a difference and that hasn't changed. Okay. You know, and everybody's motivated slightly differently, but I can tell you it's, it's not the recognition, even though we do provide it. Um, what I would say is that it's the connectedness, mm-hmm. the connections that people make. So for some, the connection with their one person is beautiful. All I needed, this is what I wanted. I'm going to stay here for years. I love this person. Mm -hmm. We spend Thanksgiving together. It's, you know, (laughs) this is my person. Others, they come and they say, I need to connect with other people like me. And so they might dive a little deeper and say, you know, let's, let's, let's get involved in a committee. I'd really like to support new tutors, for example, and, and work with that group because that seems to fit, uh, my need to meet new people in this community or, you know, be, challenged you know intellectually to Mm. to kind of do more yep well and we had we had an episode recently with dr cliff singer right from acadia hospital Mm -hmm. and one of the things we were talking about is i think there's an assumption that mortality is a lot of the fear that people face in retirement and it's really not it's around dependency is that as we're aging we're very scared of being more and more dependent on everybody and so we don't want to be a burden we don't want to kind of impose um on other people so, and especially in Maine, it's tough because of our geographic distances that we face and where you have, I, I think what's, what's really kind of cool is volunteerism as a concept is what you're expressing from the community mm-hmm. is that, you know, maybe my kids have moved away, right? Maybe uh, I've lost my loved one, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things that, you know, you have family changes in your life and, and again, or my friends, uh, you know, I've moved away and they moved to Florida all these things, and you can see where your community that has been a part of you and your family is the community is maybe chipped away here or there. And you have to create new. And I have yeah. to create new, right? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. here's where by also volunteering and plugging into a community, I can see where I have worth. I can see where I have a purpose. I can see where I'm making a difference, and I can actually see a difference. Mm-hmm. I think that's a hard thing too with a lot of the soft skills that we have. Like I, 
you know, whether it be I'm serving coffee at a coffee uh, store or I'm selling an accounting service or whatever, Mm -hmm. is that you don't really see a change. Mm -hmm. It's really tough to see, well, I've actually made things better or worse. I don't know. And if you could actually sit down with somebody and say, hey, from the moment I started with you to now, here's the change, here's their family progress. And I want to just take a second because there is so, so, so many (laughs) phenomenal stories that I've heard coming out of Literacy Volunteers. I want to talk because part of the show I want to inspire, right, is I want people to get inspired from, hey, I was able to volunteer and here's, here's not only just I got something out of me that I was able to get community and I was able to limit some dependency and create this feeling for myself. Can you just talk about some of the success stories, maybe just one or two um, either side, whether it be English as a secondary mm-hmm. language or the basic literacy side of ones that, you know, for three to five minutes we can walk into? I'll, I'll use a story that I often tell, but it has the longevity factor. We've, we've served Steve for about 15 years. He just recently moved away and that's why we no longer serve him. But okay. so he came on in 2004 when I, just about the time I did. Yep. And so this is a, a young man who had a, a family and he worked three jobs. Um, he worked a swing shift at a bakery. He delivered newspapers and slept a few hours and, and then cleaned offices. So he had three part-time jobs to kind of eke out a living and described himself as a military brat who moved around a lot and in the process of moving over and over again, just never quite caught up when he did that move. And so his reading level was at a fifth grade reading level, despite the fact that he had graduated from high school. He was pretty clear. And I I really, I always admired Steve for this. He always said, you know, if I read better, I'd be able to get a better job, which would afford my family different opportunities. I'd be home with them more as well. So he made that, that lead, that connection, asked for a tutor and Sleep deprived, sleep deprived Steve in a very short amount of time went from fifth grade reading level to 12th grade reading level. And then, you know, continued with us and said, well, Mary, what can we do now? You know, do you think I'm done? And I'm like, Steve, you're calling the shots. It's your, it's your train. You're sure, driving. Sure. Um, and so he, he just identified different things. So at one point it was, uh, preparing for a different type of job. And another point it was to have a, um, he wanted to navigate the legal process so he could adopt a son he was raising. Um, and so a, a, a volunteer helped him with that. At uh, one point, he became active in his church and was having difficulty reading the Bible. It's not the easiest text to absorb. Yeah, for anybody. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so yeah. we had another tutor for that. He became a homeowner in the process. And so he, there's just so many things that Steve was able to do as a result of better reading. It it really improved his his uh, whole world, his whole life. He became much more active with his his children's education, learned how to advocate for his children in school became served on our board of directors mm-hmm. and reminded everybody about really where this was at and what was important and how people factored in how the people we serve factored in so just did our 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 organization an incredible service and was really proud to be able to give it back and I'm I'm thinking of another story and yep. and one volunteer his name is Phil yes and I would just love to for mm-hmm. you to talk about Phil's arc in terms of you knowing Phil as a volunteer and his tutoring experience. Phil's probably around, been a, around as long as, as Steve has. So I think I met Phil in tw- 2004. Yep. He's an English language tutor. He was a retired professor from the University of Maine, and he remains active today. And, and So he, re- he was retired when you met him, is that right? He was retired okay. when we met him. I think he's in his mid-80s today. Yep. Oh. Yeah, and so he uh, – by 
you know, by a long shot, he's served more students over the course of the 16, 15 years that he's been with us uh, than anybody else. And he, he is a little different in that he, he's, he likes to be challenged by more than one student at a time. So okay. he doesn't teach them together. He teaches them separately, but mm-hmm. has several at once. Yep. And so, uh, he has done that for years. And li- recently his, uh, English language student moved back to her home country. And so he lost her and he was like, okay. And we got calls from Phil daily. Like, do you have anybody else? Have you met another student? Is there anybody I can work with? I mean, it was so clear that his, he valued time where he was making a difference yes. with an individual. Yes. And so that, that is Phil over time. Um, if you go back to like the, I don't know, 2008, maybe around the time you were with us, yep. Ben, yep. he worked with a, a young Vietnamese man who moved to our area and he was, uh, Huang was 19. And he had had some formal education in English in Vietnam, but could not follow a conversation in English. Probably could read a little bit. Sure. But when I met him, he understood very little of what I was saying. And so Phil was matched with him. And Phil can be credited by not only Huang's motivation, because there was a drive in that young man to succeed, but Phil was with Huang when he uh, graduated from Eastern Maine Community College with a, an associate's in electrical engineering, electrical power engineering. I may have that backwards, but okay, it was a two-year sure. engineering degree, which rolled into a four-year electrical engineering uh, degree from the University of Maine a few years later. So today, Huang is an electrical engineer in our state. He is a, a U.S. citizen. Uh, he has served on another uh, board of directors for literacy volunteers in the area he lives. Uh, he and his wife are just living the American dream with their five-year-old who reads really well. Nice, nice. <laughs> but he's always quick, quick to credit uh, the organization, and um, and he still is in touch with Phil. What's pretty powerful about those stories, right? Is it's it's breaking a cycle. Yes. Right. Is this? It's that uh, there's cycles that just repeat, and and we have like little, little literacy skills, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, and one of the things that I learned when I was there was, you know, you get your literacy levels from your, your mother's side, mm-hmm. right? So whatever, uh, yeah, educational attainment that she has achieved is essentially what generally gets passed down. Yeah. yeah. So it's a high correlation there. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you start thinking about, Hey, if there's someone that's, that's really already struggling with this and they have kids and it can just perpetuate a cycle that continues. So what's pretty fun about fun as an idea or empowering of it as an idea is, is your, you're taking this one person, you're taking them out of that cycle and you're, you're breaking that. And it's, it's raising that, that, and the, the generations uh, forward, which is, which is a pretty powerful thing. Absolutely. I, I want to just rotate to another conversation too, in terms of volunteerism is there's one thing just to volunteer, whatever services that the nonprofit is offering there. But I think the conversations we have with our clients and, and there's a question about, you know, they've been successful in their career. And they want to give back in lots of different ways. And one of the things that they always think about is, you know, I am kind of interested in helping to make decisions, Mm -hmm. right? Is I like that maybe I can maybe impact an organization in a larger way and, and help them, whether it be for whatever their needs are, whether they're designing those, the curriculum or they're, Mm -hmm. they're helping with fundraising. And that's usually about the least popular one that people probably get asked, but you know, (laughs) way to sell it. Yes. But you should do it, everybody. You should do it. Uh, so there's lots of different needs of an organization and, and committees and boards as governing and active parties uh, help the organization and help to kind of shape staffing and structure and all that. We get the question a lot from our population of, 
hey, I've never been on a committee before, right? I've been so mm-hmm. focused in on my family, so focused in on my career. I've never been on a committee. I've never been on a board. Isn't a board for people that are very stuffy and the, you know, the Monopoly monocle and all those people, right? <laughs> the top hats, isn't that them? And that's not me. Can you talk about this? If somebody was going to, they're saying, hey, I would like to get involved and they have those concerns. What does it mean to get involved into a committee or a board? And maybe specifically using you as an example in your your mm-hmm. structures, but how does that work? And how do how does someone go about asking to uh, to participate in that or learning more about about those uh, different structures? So I think if you're a person considering volunteering, you're going to want to spend some time with uh, just analyzing the, the organization's mission and see what really speaks to you in terms of alignment. For an organization like Literacy Volunteers, there are a number of ways, ways of serving. And so some people, while they intend to serve as a tutor, learn that it's not the best fit for them. And we honor that. And we, we always give them the out. In fact, we ask people to explore, if they're interested in volunteering as a tutor, explore this, this, this orientation. And if at the end of it, after understanding the responsibilities, the expectations, who we serve, how that, what that might look like, if you're at all uncomfortable, please let us know and, and we can talk about another way you can serve the organization right. in the mission. So you're, most volunteer or, um, excuse me, most nonprofits will have committees and, and that lead to board, that can lead to a, a board membership. For us, we have probably a half a dozen different uh, committees, structures. All of them are really, uh, they're no rubber stamping in our organization. There's a lot of really hands-on work that happens. So it's anything from marketing and communications. Um, to fundraising, mm-hmm. finance, governance, and then this tutor training and support, which is really a function of our, our mission. So these are all ways that people have said, okay, I have this great skill set. I have this history and, and of experience with, with these kinds of things. Uh, is there a way I can serve? And that's often a conversation that we'll have, uh, one on one after, you know, if, if they've decided that tutoring isn't going to be the, their best fit. And we really look for ways of honoring their interests, uh, how they want to spend their time, what they like doing. Sometimes it can be individual projects, like, you know, research or come up with a, a, a program, a training program, whatever. And then you can deliver it on your own. And that might be the best way for that person to serve. Other people would appreciate the camaraderie of a team and mm-hmm. working on a committee and meeting new people and serving that committee's focus or larger mission. In terms of board membership, we often recruit from our committees or from volunteers who have served in other capacities. So rarely does someone come from the outside and step right into a board situation. But we're always looking, we have a set of skills, skill sets or experiences that we're looking for, along with, you know, can you represent geographically a certain town, a certain side of the river in this case, you know, are you you coming from a different ethnic background? Are you a student? Have you been a student? Are you a, a male or female? Those that we're looking for diversity on our board as well. Right. Yeah. So those are things we most organizations would be considering. I guess a level of advice then is, would you say that, hey, somebody's interest in be, being a part of a committee or a board, first thing is know your why, right? Why Why are you choosing them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you choosing somebody else? Um, mm-hmm. So know why that that's, that's an impactful mission to you and why that's important. But then two is maybe the first step is just sit down with a representative of the representative of the organization and asking, Hey, how does, how does this whole thing work? Teach me about your organization. Teach me about your committees. Teach me about your board. Interviews what what are your needs? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are your needs? Mm-hmm. What are your areas of strength? And seeing if 
you know, not, they're not interviewing you that you're interviewing them, right? Mm-hmm. This is your time. Mm-hmm. This Absolutely. is your, maybe, and again, we're population we're talking about is retirement. So this is your retirement. This is the last, this is your 8,000 days and you get to choose how you spend them. And is this the highest and best use of your time in order right. to spend that? You're in control. So uh, I think that's important that people understand that is, hey, they're searching for you and you're searching for them and, and you want a partnership that, that you value each other both ways in that relationship. Exactly. I would also want to just ask a kind of a, kind of a, a nice little follow-up question is we're, we've been talking a little bit of retirement success and volunteerism there for you personally, Mary, what would you describe kind of you looking forward, whether it be volunteerism yourself, mm-hmm. but what would you say would be your pillar of retirement success? What would mean to you going forward? Again, the stretch goal could be, I want to travel. I want to do mm-hmm. something in my life. What would you kind of describe yourself as for your own idea of personal retirement success? Community community. Okay. Yeah. It's really about, about people and who you can learn from and gain experience and who can fill your life with camaraderie or uh, love or, you know, uh, doing for others. Yes. I would like to travel. Yeah, sure. Yes. Yes. I would like to travel. I would love a a place where I'm looking at water (laughs) for (laughs) sure. (laughs) You know, I grew up on a lake. I'm always looking for that horizon that includes water. Um, But if you're not helping if I'm not helping people, um, there's this this sense that there's something missing. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, well, that's a really nice answer. Thanks for You're thanks welcome. for sharing that with us. But Mary, I want to thank you for coming on the the show today. This is a really great kind of conversation mm-hmm. to get into around. Yeah, I have a really healthy respect for you um, and your organization you. and and what you've built over the last twenty years. It's it's taking um, just a monumental amount of energy and effort and passion and and <laughs> you know all all the emotions that go along. I remember <laughs> it was it was a lot of yeah a lot of hard work, but you know I think you look back and you say, man, that was. It was fun because of who you're around is I think Absolutely. we had a really great team. We all really valued each other, respected mm-hmm. each other. And it was all towards that one purpose. And to see that you went from, you know, 14 people being served to now, you know, 374. <laughs> and in the statistic is one out of five. Yes. Reading below a fifth grade reading yep. level today. So there's more and more need that needs to happen. So you know, when you believe in the mission, you can see that your efforts paying off. I, I just can't commend you enough. So, Thank but you. I wanted to I share your that. story and, mm-hmm. and also you have a, such a great, um, great, unique, uh, vantage point on volunteerism. Mm-hmm. So I thought that would be a really great, uh, experience to share with our group today. So thank you for coming on. You're more than welcome. Thank All you right. for having me. Thanks. Really excited to have Mary, Marin Taylor come on the, the podcast today. Mary and I, uh, of course had a, had a really great relationship, uh, Going backwards uh, to, I, I became involved as a treasurer of the board in 2004. Wow! So okay. I was treasurer of the board in 2004. I became a board chair uh, the year after, th- so 2005. So I was board chair of Lurs Volunteers of Bangor as Mary was executive director from 05 until I think 07, 08. Mm-hmm. So she and I worked really closely together. And, and one of the things as we we're talking about this podcast and volunteerism is she has. I don't know. I, I've kind of seen enough of the executive director roles over time. And man, what a hard job to be able to a support tutors and, and volunteers and people that are trying to get into help uh, with your mission. 
as you're trying to find people that have a need, right? So she did yeah. a lot of queue management there. Of, yeah. Hey, I got to, um, I don't want to have too many students that I don't have enough tutors for and people get discouraged and opt out of needing help. Or I don't want to have so many tutors that I don't have any people to, for them to actually help and they get disenfranchised and leave. Right. So what a, it's again, match.com and yeah. I use that because you have to have the same number of matches both sides. And from Mary's side is you have to really understand your motivations of, of the people. And that's why volunteerism was, was kind of a, an area I wanted her to speak on with us today. But one thing I wanted to, as a takeaway, obviously we got into literacy volunteers. We got into Mary and just hearing about the experience of being a volunteer mm. and then being on a committee and a board is I want to impress on people that, look, you are in control of this, right? Is, yeah. you know, you retire or you're thinking about retirement and you're thinking about how you're going to spend your time. Right. And the good part about the volunteerism side is I think people look at this and go, I'm not getting paid. I'm, I'm giving up my time and I'm not getting paid for it. That mm-hmm. feels like very empty, but you've got to be getting something else in return, right? Is, right. So seeing progress, seeing how uh, my time is actually making a difference in somebody, as she said, uh, the volunteers that are, are coming to are really looking to make a impact that they can really see. And that's very important uh, yeah. from the volunteerism side. So from that end, that's why I wanted her to kind of speak to it. But also I wanted you and the audience to really think about this of, hey, you're in total control, right? Is finding out what organization really fits with you, find out what your what the time commitment is, mm-hmm. what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like any of those things, then you shouldn't do it. Right. You should just continue to interview and find the right fit yeah. because it's all about finding your happiness here and how you're going to be happy spending your time. Um, so that, that was, uh, for me, that was my personal takeaway as I, I thought, um, I think she did a really great, great job expressing that. Yeah. And you know, uh, Ben, we, you and I talked with, with Mary, both I think on air and off air about this is, you know, obviously today's conversation was focused around Mary's organization and we, you know, we'll push resources out to people just to, to educate on volunteerism in general and, you know, really find that why is, is how it, how it's phrased. You know, you know, you may not want that intimate connection with someone as far as being a tutor, but you still have that desire to help out. So, you know, there are many many options available for people to, uh, to make a difference. Yeah. And if it's something where, look, I, I was an accountant and, you know, they, they may need help with the financial controls side or, right. or kind of understanding that there's, there's lots of ways to lend maybe expertise that you have right. or developing a new skill that you don't have. Right. And yeah, that's, that's, that's where I always wanted to do this. I always wanted to to teach. And mm-hmm. that was something I never got to do in my life. And so maybe that's why literacy volunteers was the thing. But maybe it's something like I always wanted to uh, help out with the NICU, right? Babies yeah. that, that were born premature. And that's an area that I'm passionate about because my kid had that experience or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Is to figure out, well, what, how do you spend your time? And that's where uh, from that end, well, again, as you said, we'll have resources. I, I know Maine Association of Nonprofits is a, is a kind of a collective group where you can go and they have some really great training and curriculum resources, but also helping you to find what nonprofits there are in the state of Maine, mm-hmm. what do they do, who to contact. Yep. And I, I think those are, so we'll have a few resources like that in our blog and you can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash nine. Yep. So you can go there and to find out more information. So any other takeaways for you? Carlos? Um, yeah, just kind of real quick before we wrap up. One piece that really stuck out to me is, you know, going into this conversation, I was, I was trying to picture myself, you know, supporting it or, 
or volunteering at an organization like this and it, you know the anxiety if you will of of the pressure of of being a good teacher to someone and then the added element that we talked about with Mary is you know sh- they deal with people who may not even be from here right and that just it was something that i completely dismissed in my my thoughts about it and it's just a whole another element and it just really you know, makes me appreciate even more than I already did, you know, what these people are doing, because it's, it's not me teaching my neighbor something who I'm comfortable, you know, it's the the comfortability of it is, you know, I'm dealing, Maine's a very homogenous state, um, you know, for better or worse, that's what we are. But, um, and I think if you were in New York city, this would be a very natural thing for you to be seeing other cultures all the time and interacting with that. And it's just something where, you know, we have a few of our urban centers, if you can call them urban centers in Maine, <laughs> but a few of them have some more cultural diversity to them. And, and then you have more rural areas that don't. And, right. and again, that might be something that draws you or not. And, and I thought that was, that's kind of an interesting take is, Hey, yeah. this is a way to plug into a community that I always wanted to or, right. or, or whatever. But yeah. That's and, really that, and then it's a learning experience, you know, for the, the tutor themselves as well. And anecdotally, I will say, Literature Volunteers has like the best cultural potluck that I've ever seen. It is like <laughs> the best food you will ever eat I can at their imagine. annual meeting. Because yeah. everybody just cooks their their native cultural food, and it is awesome. Yeah. It is very good. Well, thank you all for tuning in for today. Appreciate everybody's time and attention. And again, volunteerism is a question that we get a lot about and how to go about it right for me. And, and I think that's a pretty important thing that we wanted to uh, investigate with you today. So appreciate tuning in and, and we'll catch you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.